will be reading from the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 7b through 15. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also all the other peoples of the land. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. You did not do it with your own sword or bow. So I gave you a land which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served before the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It is my prayer that you have been blessed to meet Dennis Rinker and uh, Shelley and Maiden as they've come to join us in recent months. And uh, Dennis, thank you for that great reading this morning. I appreciate it very much. I need to let you know, and I'm guessing that most of you know this already, but we're uh, wanting to be sure and communicate as well as we can. Your caring and sharing has it on the back of the of the caring and sharing, but I wanted to say out loud and, and welcome her. Uh, we are welcoming uh, Dara Frazier to the office. Uh, as you know, about a month ago, we said uh, goodbye to Cindy, who was leaving us behind to go on to a higher calling of taking care of her grandbaby, uh, new grandbaby, and we blessed her in that process. And we have been very, very blessed to add Dara Frazier to the office in a very similar sort of role. Um, Dara has been working with us for a very long time. She has filled in uh, many, many times in when people were sick and different things were going on. In fact, it's, it's just kind of amazing for one of those people that fill in. Uh, there were a couple of times where we had problems and couldn't get the caring and sharing printed until Saturday morning, and she would come up here on Saturday morning and make sure it all got done. So we're really thankful to have Dara with us. If you've called the office and she's answered, you've been blessed by her voice or Jamie's voice if it's another day, but we're really glad to have she working with Jamie and uh, in our office together. And uh, again, we're really thankful for that group. It's not a big surprise that uh, Dara and Brian are proud of their son, Callan. And so he, he takes the feature position in, a, in this picture. Um, and we're blessed this morning to have uh, Callan and uh, Garrett filling in to sing bass with us this morning. So I really appreciate that a lot. Would you please join me in welcoming Dara to our, our office staff? I'm going to ask you to stand again. Sorry about that. Um, by the way, uh, it, it sometimes gets lonely up here. 
And, um, and on a day like Labor Day Sunday, when so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have found their way to other places, um, if after you stand, you are led by the Spirit, just overwhelmed by this sense that I don't want to leave Alan alone all the way up there, then no one is going to stop you from moving forward and taking up a different seat a little bit closer. Uh, I will promise you that the seats at the front are small enough back. My spit cannot make it that far. We have measured it. That's why those seats start there. So if you can join, join me up here, I'd appreciate it very, very much. Just so you know, there's a curveball coming on this one. So uh, just be prepared. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and your neighbors as yourself. And the whole church said, Amen. You may be seated. For Israel, after Egypt, it wasn't simply about a family. You need to kind of picture while many people went with Jacob down to Egypt uh, when that occurred during that famine and Joseph invited him to come. It was still, for the most part, just a family. And while everyone who left Egypt could tie themselves directly back to that family, it was much less of a, a family unit and much more of a community unit. It was a group of people that were tied together, yes, by heritage and, again, by genetics, but they were a full-blown nation. Again, the thought that at least a million people went through the Red Sea together. And that number, in reality, actually grew before they came into the, the land, before Moses preached the uh, sermon that we have recorded in Deuteronomy, and we moved into uh, the rest of their time together. They were a nation. But they didn't see themselves in the same way that you and I see nation. They saw themselves as connected to each other and needing each other. And part, again, we could say as a family, but it was more than the way you and I would define family. It was more about the idea of we are community together. The idea of life together was essential to what God wanted to see in themselves. They weren't going to make it on their own. They were going to engage in life in a way that, that this one's actions impacted another one's actions. And the blessing that God sent to each individual was intended to be a blessing to the whole. This was written, of course, into the scriptures all the way back in Genesis. This was, of course, written in the law when it was given there on Mount Sinai. Have you ever noticed how those first set of commands, that idea of relationship with God, immediately transition into actions that when we step back and look at them, they're not just about being a good person, they're about building a good community. A community where blessing can flow from person to person. And when in later years, when the prophets will step up and say, you have missed what God called you to do. When Jesus begins to teach and he says things like, you have heard it said or you have heard the command, he says, you didn't understand it because you thought it was just about you being good as opposed to understanding that your participation in what God wanted you to be doing, your following His words and His instructions, was intended to build a community of blessing. 
that not only blessed the members of that community, but was intended to set that community up as a blessing to all the peoples around them. We could go just a step further, if you don't mind, to be a blessing to the whole world. You might remember that when God called Abram, he said to him, I am going to bless you, and you are going to be a blessing to all people. From you will become God's great blessing to bring uh, the newness that God always wanted people to be engaged in, to bring the redemption that God wanted them to experience. I don't know about you, but sometimes this happens to me. Just real quick story if I can. I will be, for instance, have you ever noticed, and, and again for me, it's the trip down Oyster Creek, all right? I'm, I'm, I pull out of Yopon and I turn onto Oyster Creek, and that lighted circleway turns green just before I get there. Woo, life is good. And then the life at, any, at Circleway, it turns green right before I get there. Woo, moving on. And by the way, there's not enough traffic built up. This is becoming less and less common. we got all this traffic now in Lake Jackson. I think I've been here for 13 years, and we went from being no traffic jams to now there, there are lots of people stacked up in too many places. But then you get to Anyway. And you roll on through there. And then you know it's going to be a great day when you get to 288 and the light turns green and the world opens up in front of you. Now the problem with that is you can kind of sit back and, oh man, this is going too well. And I'm one of those fuel economy people, right? Some people like to brag about their car and how many horsepower it has. I brag about how many miles per, hour, miles per gallon my car gets. And uh, I'll, I'll take anybody on. I'm doing pretty good. Of 120,000 miles, 42 plus miles per gallon for every single mile. Yeah, you got a Prius. Don't be bragging too much. Uh, <laughs> but bottom line is, I'll set the cruise control at about 32, and the battery will kick in, and I'm just rolling. Life is good. And if I don't watch it, we'll get up to Walmart, and... And that light will turn green or it will never turn green. And I'm almost asleep because everything has come together so well. Have you ever been caught off guard like that? Or maybe, dads, dads, remember putting together. Got to check my audience here. Special presents at a special time of year that need assembly. Okay, you got me now. And everything's just going along so well, right? And then you get down to just right, it's just about to come together and you look down and there's a part that's not there. And the next thing you try to do, you realize, man, it's just gone so it just all the pieces have come together. And by the way, in my life, this is a rare occurrence. So when it happens, I'm like, whoo, God, thank you very much, kind of thing like that. And then you get down and there's that one thing. And the last part is not going to go on until you disassemble it all the way back to that one part. And you're like, things were going so well. And then the, and what's the phrase we use? And then the wheels fell off. Can you say, and then the wheels fell off? You might remember something like that. To a certain extent, today's lesson, we're going to look at how the wheels fell off for a man named Joshua who followed Moses in the leadership of the people. You see, from the very beginning, God intended for his people to understand that he's tying them together and he wants them to be dependent on each other as they are dependent on him. He wants them to see their life as not just lived for themselves, but lived, and again, not only for God, but the good of the community. It's kind of interesting that as we read through the first five books, we come to Exodus and 
God will spend about seven chapters explaining to Moses how the tabernacle is supposed to be built. This place where they were to worship and sacrifices were to be offered and those kinds of things. But when we turn the page, we get to Leviticus and it continues with explanations about how you're to do things right in worshiping God. It's very interesting. You turn to Numbers, not the first chapter, but the second chapter. And God has a very specific plan. Not for the way you're going to sacrifice this or offer that or this that you're going to wear. He has a very specific plan about the way he wants the tribes to live together around the tabernacle. It's very interesting to see diagrams of that. This is just one kind of depiction of what it was about. But the idea, I I love modern people, of course, put nice roads in between them. And it's all very square and things like that, like a military camp. And I don't see that as probably part of what they were doing. Everybody kind of had their own size tent and it wouldn't necessarily fit with all this kind of stuff. And, and the whole idea that there would be roads in between all of them is just kind of like, what? But there was an organization. God said, if you're going to do life together, yes, I'm going to be in the center of it. But even the way that you assemble around me is going to be part of who you are as my people. This idea of of togetherness, of life together, was just in the water of everything that they did. If they breathed, if you can imagine living in tents in the wilderness, if you breathe and you talk and you do things in your family, there's no sense in which the next family over isn't going to know everything that's going on. It was life that was kind of built together. I want to draw a specific idea that Deuteronomy, again in this sermon that Moses preaches as the people are about to move into the land and he's preparing them to be that people of God but also that people that do life together. I want you to hear from Deuteronomy chapter 15, this specific example. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. Very powerful way. Did you hear the scripture during communion from Acts? They broke bread together, but they shared their possessions. They were doing what God told the people to do in the land. They were doing now that this new church, this new Israel had been established. And notice that God simply is very clear about this. I am going to provide for you in abundance. There is no reason that you should have poor among you. And again, here's the key. As long as you follow my commands. That is to say, we're not going to be a people who are covetous. We're not going to be people who are jealous. We're not going to be a people who steal from others. But also, we're going to be a people who share. Continuing in verse 6, the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. Verse 7, but if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Now before we go on, if you've already read the context of chapter 15, you know that it opens with this idea of something very important God was saying to them. 
In the same way that God said, I want you to stop once a week on Sabbath and I want you to depend on me to carry you through. I want you to depend on me that the six days that you work will be enough. And then also God asked them to tithe from the first fruits of their, of their crops and harvest. And that, again, the idea that it's just about to come in and the first thing I cut, I'm going to give to God is about depending that God will give me what I need and what is to come. Now, part of that process in the beginning of chapter 15 will say, as you live together and your life together in the land, I want you to be sure that every seven years you relieve everyone's debts. In fact, after this section of Scripture, he will say, if you have a slave, you want to be sure and let them go every seven years. And so when he is saying, I want you to give to your neighbor. I want you to lend freely to your neighbor. He comes to verse 9 and says, Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year of canceling debts is close at hand. We got any businessmen in here? Any people who work on money and things like that? And we weigh out the risk of I'm going to invest in that or I'm going to put this in, I'm going to invest in this way. God says, yes, the seventh year is coming and you're going to relieve all those debts. But don't you dare be the kind of people who would push against the blessing that God has given you. That you would choose to put blinders on the fact that God has given to you so freely and so richly and so undeservedly that you would harden your heart and not help someone in your community because, well, wait a minute, if I invest that here, it's not going to come back to me. I'm sure they're just going to let it wait until that year of relief comes. He says, that's not the kind of people you're supposed to be. And I would say, because that's not the kind of God that I am or the kind of God that I have been for you. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, now isn't it interesting? It isn't just a good idea to be generous to each other. It isn't just a good idea that we do life in such a way that we don't think just what's best for me. It is sin to violate that principle. You will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. And again, understand here, this is, again, where those, those economic principles come together inside of us. Oh, wait a minute. If I give too much now, I might not have enough left for. I, I can't give that much because I may need that at some point in the future. God says, I want you to give generously because giving generously expresses a dependence and an awareness that God is going to continue to bless us. It's not a zero-sum game for God. God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land. Jesus will quote this to the disciples. There will always be some in the land who are poor. This is why I am, by the way, not suggesting, not it might be a good idea, but commanding you to share freely with the poor and other Israelites in need. Again, going to refer directly to the slave thing. If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to you, be your servants and serves you for six years, in the seventh year you must set that servant free. 
And when you release a male servant, again, the idea that a male servant would be leading a family in some way, a family would be depending on him, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Note the three different kinds. You're going to give him meat, you're going to give him bread, and you're going to give him drink. Very powerful kind of thing. Share with him some of the bounty which the Lord your God has blessed you. Why do we give? Because God's given so richly to us. But where this idea of life together really takes on, I think, a deeper meaning is that when we turn the page to the book of Joshua. You may remember Joshua is the person who begins to lead the people after Moses. Moses has brought them out of Egypt, taken them across the Red Sea. He was the one who went on the mountain and God gave the law to. He's led them and helped them get established. And it, well, I tell you what, there are very few transitions that you would be more afraid of than this one. But Joshua is encouraged by God. God tells him to be courageous and be strong. God tells him very specifically, you are to be a person who follows my commands and keeps my words very close to you. But he becomes the leader as the daunting task of reestablishing their foothold, their claim to the land of Judah, of Canaan, comes about. But it is not going to be done in some sort of vacuum. It is not going to be done as... Dennis read a minute ago, it's not going to be done because their arm is stronger or their bow is more accurate. It's going to be done because God will help them and they will work together to accomplish those good things. So very quickly, three things that the book of Joshua, and this is just, boy, this is just the big bird's eye view here. But if you could walk through with me very quickly. First of all, They were doing life together because when they go across the river, there are already two and a half tribes, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh that have already established their homeland on that east side of the Jordan River. But Joshua makes it very clear, we're not going over here and you're not leaving us behind saying, oh, we've already done our part. You're coming with us. At least the fighting men of those tribes are going to come with us to help us in that process. We're going to do this together. In chapters 5 and 6, we have that incredible story. And and again, Veggie Tales does such a good job of telling it. If you need to really hear the story of Jericho, go um, go to YouTube or go to Right Now Media and find the story of Jericho. Um, Josh and the Big Wall, I believe it's called. And watch it. It's just great. But bottom line is it is about as successful a campaign as they can have. Again, we would think back to the way God defeated the Egyptian army in the Red Sea without them lifting a sword. God is going to defeat the city of Jericho in a very similar sort of way. But it is about complete participation together. When you read the text, it's about all of Israel. And I realize... There are several times in the book when it talks about all Israel and you have to kind of say, well, it looks clearly like it's just the leaders, representatives. This was an event that it appears all the people. I don't know about you, but it would be kind of interesting to take, pick a number, five, six, seven-year-old child, right? Day one, oh, this is kind of fun. Day two, we're going to do what? We're going to get up and do that again, and then we come to the last day, and we're going to walk around seven times. Can you imagine how many times the mom or the dad had to answer, are we done yet? Are we there yet? 
I have a feeling those wise moms and dads said, said, just wait. God is coming. God's going to show up. And that memory probably lasted with that child for the rest of their life. Jericho is defeated because of the complete participation of the community, which is followed immediately by their own initial defeat at the city of Ai because the act of an individual caused the entire community to be defeated. You know the story. Achan, everything in Jericho was, was supposed to be devoted to God. Everything except Rahab's family. They got her out, everything else devoted to God. Except Achan saw some things that he thought, I'll just take a little bit of that, and it won't hurt anything or anybody. Have you ever said that before? I'm just going to act selfishly for me this one time, and it won't hurt anybody. Unfortunately, people died in the attack of Ai. And while it was this little insignificant town and that shouldn't have taken any effort at all, God caused it to be a defeat so that they would understand You guys are in this together. And you're going to have to hold each other accountable and you're going to have to help each other to understand that the action of the individual impacts the the prosperity, the blessing of the whole. That individual act. Ultimately, Joshua is, is continuing a call that rings through the rest of Israel's history that we are in this Together. Can you say that with me? We are in this together. There's so many times that the Israelite history talks about people that, that just step into evil as if that's their native language and just what they want to do. And then we have the stories from the same time of people who are righteous and hopeful and faithful. And yet... It is the actions of those who choose to continue in disobedience to God that God finally simply says, I cannot continue to bless you. My testimony to the world would be broken if I continued to bless you and they were carried off into exile. And it is in that point that they maybe actually learn the process of life together and begin meeting regularly in groups of communities that they called synagogues. We would call them churches. From the reading in Joshua 24 that Dennis read earlier, these words, these famous words, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And you need to understand, we might see this with modern I dare say, American eyes, and say, the idea is that Joshua's saying, I don't really care what y'all do, we're going to go do our own thing over here. Joshua says, choose. This is a, he's enacting what Moses told them to do at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. They are writing the commands on a stone, there are people on two mountains, and they're, they're talking about the blessings that will come if we'll obey, and the, and the curses that will come if we don't obey. And Joshua says... Not in the sense of, I'm going to do my thing, you do your thing. But in the sense of, you must choose. And I'm going to be the first one to choose. I will serve the Lord. And that is not a, whatever you do doesn't matter. It is an invitation. And maybe it's an invitation that you and I need to take a little more seriously. The idea that 
that we view life from the perspective as if the whole church did community and did fellowship and did generosity and did obedience the way that I did it, the way I do it, would the church go very far? If the faithfulness of the church was defined by my own faithfulness, would the church be faithful? That's the question Joshua is asking. And that is the affirmation that Joshua is giving. Choose! And Joshua says, let me lead the charge in saying, yes. But it wasn't the idea that he's going to go out there and do it himself. It was that he wanted everyone to follow him in that. Very quickly, three questions. Not statements, three questions. But I hope these questions will make you reflect on how you think about doing life together. First of all, are my attitudes and actions impacted by my fellowship? Using that word fellowship there, and I want you to kind of download all the stuff that comes from the New Testament that you think about the early church and its fellowship. We talked about that back in the spring, about what the fellowship was. And you can't define church without talking about what fellowship is. That Again, again that base level idea that we are going to do life together. That we're bound together by Christ and in Christ. But the question is, are the attitudes of my heart... And my actions impacted by that fellowship. Let me give you just a very quick example. Some people have, uh, I've heard some complaints. We have the little individual thing. And, and haven't we always done it right with the trays and the cups and those kinds? That's the way Jesus did it, isn't it? And, and they say, oh, wait, wait. No, it's not the way Jesus did it. Jesus did it with glass cups. He didn't do it with plastic cups. You have a bad picture of how Jesus did Lord's Supper. But I want to point something out to you. As opposed to a complaint about this isn't the way we've always done it. And I recognize there is a neat blessing in that, that process of passing it together. But have you ever thought about the fact that we peel that back and we all partake of the bread together? Amen? At one time. We don't ever, when we break the bread and pass the tray, say, hold on to it until everybody, we're seldom, I have heard us do that, hold on to it so we can all take together. Somehow or another, we think that would be denominational. But with this process, we have the blessing. And I can either have the attitude of, there's something wrong with this, or I can have the attitude of, there's something different about it, yes. And me want to go back to the other way at some point in the future. For the moment... We have the opportunity to all partake at the same time together. That may not have no value for you. But I would encourage you that at some level, God wants us to think about the value of doing things together. Amen? How are my attitudes and actions impacted by my fellowship? Secondly, question, how does fellowship fit into my spiritual growth? If the answer to the question, how do you know about God, what you know about God is, well, I just read my Bible and I know everything there is to know, then I would say you have missed the target that God is pointing you towards. He has always tied us together so that we can be more of who God wants us to be. 
Can we read the Bible by ourselves? Absolutely. Can we come to, can the Spirit lead us individually to conclusions that are part, that are consistent with what God wants to be? Absolutely. Is that the only way that God wants us to grow spiritually? And the answer is an emphatic no. And the question would be, how does the fellowship fit into your spiritual growth? Finally, third question. Not just what you're getting from, but how do you answer the question, how am I contributing to God's blessing on my fellowship? Again, Aiken sat there and he said, oh, if I just take this little bit of stuff, and by the way, it was quite valuable, no two ways about it. It won't hurt anybody. But what he was contributing to was destruction. My question to you would be, what are you contributing to the blessing that this fellowship experiences? Is your prayer life by yourself pointed towards how can I be part of God's blessing to this people? Is my time in the Word pointed not only to what God is shaping in me, but how can I be a part of what God's shaping in all of us? How am I contributing to God's blessing on my fellowship? I'm going to point out one specific example, and then we'll give the invitation. So incredibly blessed for years and years. of, And it was primarily our deacons, but it's not just our deacons of people who delivered communion to shut-ins. Now, again, the, sh- the doors to get to the shut-ins have been closed for a while, and so there's a reason why. But Mike Wunderlich is, is kicking that off again, and we're going to be looking at how we can do that better. And you think, oh, that's kind of inconvenient to give up a Sunday afternoon. Oh, it's going to take some time. There's a good football game going on which would be a complaint before DVRs. It should never be a complaint again. But I want you to see the blessing that comes to this congregation because we care for people who can't care for themselves. I want you to think about the way God smiles because, make no mistakes, when you step in those rooms and those people see you and you bring them the caring and sharing and they they get to experience praying together, and at least when I do it, sharing the supper together, not just being given to them. Their their eyes light up and their face grows a smile. They're so thankful to be part of the fellowship. God's invitation continues to be, will you Won't you please let your life be about loving the Lord your God? If you are ready in any way to respond to that invitation, if you would like to begin the conversation about how you want your life to be more about that, you're welcome to come forward. You're welcome to seek us out anytime, anywhere. If you're online with us, there's the number you can send a message to to us. It will be replied to, and we'll start that conversation. Loving God means loving each other. Amen? I invite you to come as we stand and as we sing. Blessed be the